There are five institutions that control $30 trillion of assets in this world. You know, you've got uh, Fidelity, Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and uh, UBS that, that control $30 trillion. So when they get in and they actually put it in their portfolios, it becomes a no-brainer for other asset managers to do it as well. Hello there from the great state of Texas. How are you all? I'm over here for the Texas Blockchain Summit, catching up with some Bitcoiners. It's been a pretty incredible event. So I want to give a big shout out to the Texas Blockchain Council for putting this on. I am though heading back to Vegas. I'm going to see my good buddies in the ghost inside. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got two guests on the show. I've got James Lavish here for his first time. And we're also joined by the ever amazing Greg Foss. Now, I've been following James Lavish on Twitter recently, and I've really enjoyed seeing his input and his coverage of macro. And whilst he was in town for the uh, Pacific Bitcoin conference, Danny said, come on, we need to get James on the show. And so we're also very lucky because Greg Foss is there and he's friends with James. We said, why don't you come on the show as well? So lots of stuff to cover. You know, we've Foss, we're going to talk about bonds, but we got into a bunch of macro stuff, but also got to find out some cool stuff about James's background as a, as a hockey player, which is super interesting. Anyway, this is a great rip. I'm going to get James back on the show himself. I want to cover some of the stuff he does in his amazing newsletter. Check that out. It's linked in the show notes. And listen, you got any questions about this or anything else, please do hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right. Well, listen, James, welcome to the podcast. Mr. Foss has been... This feels like an advertising campaign for Rail Bedford. That's what we wanted it to yeah, be. Yeah, nice one. Uh, I had um, uh, Preston on the show last year, and he was wearing one of the T-shirts. And the following week, we sold about 20 of the T-shirts. Beautiful. But I hadn't connected it. I was like, we keep selling a lot of the T-shirts. And then I suddenly realized we released uh, the show. Uh, so hopefully it'll work. Awesome. But thank you for supporting that. And going on stage and wearing them. and That was good in Edinburgh. That was a real, real pleasure to be in Edinburgh. We've, we've had a couple of good conferences recently. Great conferences. And yeah. in, in, I'm going to paraphrase. I actually quote Mark Moss last night. We were lucky enough to go out for dinner with uh, Michael Saylor and, uh, and Mark was there. And he goes, I've never had so much positive vibes in the presence of a bloodbath on the price of <laughs> no, Bitcoin, sorry. right? Like, uh. it's, it's, that's what I love about it because even in Miami... We never talked about price. Edinburgh, we never talked about price. This, we never talked about price because it's still a rounding error, you know? We know that it's a rounding error in the big scheme. It's all about the mission. Correct. We don't care about that. Um, James, welcome to the show. It's great to get you on. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, been a pleasure following you online. Um, not everyone will know you're listening. They all know Foss because he's, uh, he's been on a few times, but Absolutely. you should you could just tell people a little bit about yourself, a bit of a uh, background if they don't know you. Sure. Um, I've been, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've been watching for a long time and it's awesome to be here. So, great, thank um, you. Yeah, I, I, so I've, I've been an institutional investor for over 25 years and uh, in hedge funds, private equity, and, um, you know, I've just been an, an investor. And so I, I recently got into space. I, I kind of got in late, you know, and you do it as you do. I've told this story before, so apologize to some of the listeners have heard it before, but basically. Greg, tell me still early. He's, <laughs> I'm so early. So, uh, you know, I'm, 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 it's 2018 and I'm trying to figure out, I wanted to invest some extra money I had and I wanted to go out on the risk tail, you know, do something just a little bit different, not real estate, not stocks, not bonds, you know, something, bonds. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to find something different. And, uh, and I, I kept hearing about this Bitcoin thing. 
And I was like, I've got to check that out. So, and being an institutional investor, you do what you would normally do is this is a new technology. So you go and you talk to the technology analysts and but every single one of them, bar none, said, avoid it at all costs. It's a Ponzi. There's no underlying value. It's worth nothing. You'll lose all your money. Don't do it. And, and they were so, right. <laughs> and so it turns out they were right. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the sad part is, is the, the price of Bitcoin was in, had a three handle on it. So it was like $3,500. So that was the worst in, you know, non-investment I, I ever made. And, uh, and so I, I, I kick myself a little bit to the day, but everybody gets the Bitcoin price that they deserve, right? So later on, uh, flash forward a, a couple of years, and I'm leaving my, the, the, the position I have in, in the private equity hedge fund that I was uh, working on. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And my son knew this. And he was like, Dad, and he's, uh, he's at Cornell. He's a senior at Cornell this year. And he really into technology and, uh, you know, cybersecurity and all that. And he said, Dad, I really think you ought to give this crypto um, thing a, another shot. Go check it out. Because he, he knew I was trying to figure out what to do. And so I did, and he convinced me to get some Ethereum, Cardano, and Solana. And so I, I leg in as we talk, as, as Greg and I might say uh, in, in Wall Street, you leg into a trade, you get a little bit, and it forces you to do research, right? So I did that, and then I started watching podcasts and videos and got on Twitter and started talking to people. Saw you, I saw, uh, you know, uh, Michael Saylor and Jeff Booth. And I was orange pilled within weeks. And I was like, I got to get my stuff out, all this money out of crypto and into Bitcoin. So nice. that's the journey that I've had. And that's how I've been in this space. And so now being an institutional, institutional investor, I, I love being here and teaching people about our world. And, uh, and because it's so opaque and people don't understand. And it's not their fault. It's not, it's not taught in schools. It's not, uh, it's not covered. Uh, it, whether you're in, in grade school, high school, college, these things are not taught. And so I have people who have MBAs regularly coming up, uh, up to both of us and, and the other guys, Larry the Pard and uh, Mark Moss and some of the guys that we're, that we're working with that they, they can't believe all these things are not taught in schools and they're learning stuff about it and how important it is in the world of, of money you know, and just the concepts around it and how it works. And so that's I'm, I'm, why I'm here. That I'm, was a long answer. No, it's a good answer. Here. We want long yeah. answers. We're, mm -hmm. we're a long form podcast. Why, why aren't these things taught? Uh, you know, I don't, some people think it's, it, it's, it's purposeful um, and that they're, it's, they're cynical about it. I don't think it's really that as much as there's, there's not really, uh, there's not really upside for Jamie Dimon to explain to you exactly what he's doing. You know, it's mm. not an upside for the bankers to explain exactly what, how they move the money around and make money off of it. Um, it they, it's, I don't think they're, they're trying to keep people out, but it's just like, if they have more information than you, it, it, they're, they're trading in that. And that's how they, that they've been in this world of fiat and this, this, uh, it's a closed world. It's a club and they've benefited so greatly from it. It's not like they're actively I'm a, I'm a keeping people out. I'm a little more cynical. Yeah. Um, I believe if they taught the truth that people would question the stability of the banking system as a whole, they wouldn't deposit their money in the banking system, and that would cause the collapse. So, well, maybe it's maybe it's subconscious, but you yeah, know, I, but, I don't disagree. But yeah. yeah.
you know, you know, very few people understand how risky banking actually is. I tell you that a bank is 25 times levered to its capital or risk absorbing equity base. That's a extreme amount of risk where if you're a depositor, you know, unless you have money printing to back it up, that's a high, high risk investment, but the system doesn't work if they don't have deposits in the commercial banking system. So you can't teach it. Hmm. But and, and as an institutional investor, you would you know, be aware how the system works. But hmm. since you came into Bitcoin, has it opened your eyes to other things? Have you become... Completely. Yeah. Completely. What's it changed? Well, I mean, I, I call myself a reformed hedge fund manager. Nice. And the reason is because, look, I, I was in that system. I benefited from that system and I understand it. And now I can see just how damaging it is to everybody who's not really a part of that system, you know, who's not really close to the spigot. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's literally changed the way that I look at money and the access to it and, you know, the separation of wealth in all of these countries and how rapidly it happens and how unfair it is. Like the inflation is just, it's incredible. I, I, I never really thought about inflation before I dug into and studied Bitcoin, which is just think about that. I was in, in investing for 25 years. The only thing I thought about is that is our bogey to beat, you know, and when we're investing, that's how we, that's how we get to our, our, uh, our, our neutral rate, our, our real rate of return. And so it, it's just blown my, my mind that I've been doing this for so long and I was ignorant in understanding it, and it's embarrassing. But well, I think I think we all have that. I, I I'm similar. I mean, inflation was one of those things you see on the news. Mm-hmm. You know, they report inflation's at two percent, inflation's at three percent, and I just assumed that was a part of a naturally growing economy. It's natural. Yeah, natural two percent inflation. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's 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 evil. Yeah, and you and we know that now. I mean, we sat down with o- Ovik Roy. Yeah. Do you know Ovik? Uh, He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He um, operates a... Um, I don't know him, but I know who he is. Oh, got. you know. So he wrote this article recently for Freeop, which was covering inflation. He said, even at 2% inflation has a ins- highly insidious effect on... No, actually, any amount of inflation has a highly insidious effect on the poorest in society. We're constantly making life harder for the poorest in society. Uh, I just believe that for economy to grow, you have inflation. I, I don't think I really grokked it until the time I actually sat down with Jeff Booth. Exactly. Read his book. Boom. Exactly. I was like, oh, okay. Inflation versus deflation, how those forces are, are meeting and they're going to clash. Yeah. That is the, his, his, his uh, interview um, that I watched an interview with him and it clicked. It finally just clicked. I was like, okay, I got this. I, I understand. I understand why this is so important now. And so now that's all I want to do. I want to be in this world for the remainder of my career to mm-hmm. figure out how to help. You know, like Greg says, it's for the kids, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Has it ex- so you said you got uh, a son who's a senior. Uh-huh. Um, I've yeah. got a son who's, uh, a, what would you say, is a sophomore first year. I mean, freshman. A freshman. Yeah, of course, yeah. I'm a freshman. He's yeah. 18. I've got a 12-year-old yeah. daughter. Yeah. It's f- it fundamentally shifted how I talk to them about money, and life, absolutely, and absolutely, and he and say, and I've got a daughter. She's a, she's a, a junior um, in in college, and so, and that's exactly right. They both have they're studying money in a different way, and they're seeing it in a way that I didn't see it when I was their age, not even close. And now he's migrated all the way to the Bitcoin. You know, he understands that that's the future. So mm. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. it's good yeah. how it does, does that to you. Well. It's great to have you here. Um, you. Danny's a big fan. Yeah, definitely. Danny was the one who was like, 
got to get James on, got to get James on. And then we've been trying to do it for a while. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, because we have our we have our rule. Uh, and then we have the pleasure of Danny saying today, oh, we're doing it with Greg Foss as well. I was like, yes. But James, but James was kind enough to say, you know, yeah, let's do it together. And so, oh, I'm, man. I'm no, because we, we, I, I would love to bring up the, the way James and I met. Uh, we were on a spaces, um, invited to a dual spaces uh, by, it was Resh, right? Yep, it was Resh. Uh, and yeah. and we, we both, and I said, man, I got I to gotta talk more to this guy. And it didn't hurt that he's a hockey player. He's very humble, but he was drafted into the NHL, okay? As, really? As coming out of, yeah, coming out of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, college hockey. And, uh, you know, due, with, uh, uh, due to injury, otherwise he would have been played for the U.S. Olympic hockey team and he would have played for it, the Boston Bruins. Now, Boston. That, but as a Canadian, and he grew, up, he grew up close enough to the Canadian border that he could be an honorary Canadian if he wanted to be. But uh, <laughs> it's point is, really you know, we had, that, we had that bond. Uh, uh, he's an Ivy League educated kid that played hockey. I went to school at, uh, at Cornell where his son goes, right? So we had that bond and we immediately uh, reached out and I could tell, man, I, I, I like talking to this guy. So happy to be here. This is James. Yeah. This is James's show though. The James so show. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, you know, chime in whenever you need to. <laughs> Did you keep all your teeth? I do. I have, uh, there's some that are pretty loose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have all my teeth. Okay, so, so hold on. But, but I've had my entire body x-rayed. I mean, oh, yeah. is it? Uh, so it's that brutal. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. Okay. Shoulders. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, I don't know a lot about hockey, but I do know it's the nearest we have to our football in terms of the atmosphere, how difficult it is to score. It's slightly higher scoring than our football, but mm -hmm. gen it's not like it's, uh, it's not like yeah. it's not like uh, basketball. It's every like no, and I, that's why seconds. I love I love watching football. You know, soccer. I I, I love it. It's the same. It, it, it's a lot of similar strategy. Yeah, actually, you know, okay. trying to create two on ones and trying. It's a, it, it's a little bit slower and more methodical, but it's the exact. It, it some of it, it really lines up similarly. And we actually played soccer in uh, off off uh, season training to you know to to work on plays and stuff. And so you were drafted by the Bruins. I was 1989. 1989. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was so yeah. I was on the U.S. national team um, my senior year, and uh, and it's a bigger team. So it's like it's like one and a half to two full teams uh, that that they're choosing the Olympic team from. Oh, so pretty easy to get in then. Yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so uh, played in a tournament up near you, actually yeah, outside of Quebec, uh, wearing the jersey, and I'm you know, and everything is going great. My senior year, I'm I'm. At the uh, at the time, I ended up being one of the top ten goal scorers in Yale history, and so I mean, I, everything was working. I was like, "This is I'm going to the NHL." You know, I'm getting an agent. the uh, the The GM for the Boston Bruins said there are two players we're, we're going to sign: Brian Smolinski and James Lavish. It's in the Boston Globe, and I'm like, "This is happening," and and just as it happens, you know, uh, senior year. Um, I'm uh, playing, we're playing St. Lawrence, just another team in our division, no big deal. And I'm taking a breakout pass from behind me. I take one step, my skate catches in a groove in the ice and I get hit at the same moment and <laughs> blow out my knee and it was over. It was all Shit. over. Yeah, I mean, it happened in, in an instant. And is, that, and is that an injury if you had now would be recoverable? It's got nothing uh, to you know, it's kind of, it's, it's terrible timing. And the reason I was I was doing so well is because of my speed. I was one of the fastest right. players in the league. That's why I, that was my thing. I could, I mean, I had like an extra gear, 
And to get to the NHL, that gear had to be like 20% more. And so at this point, and, and to the, you know, you beyond the US it. national team, I was like, there's no way I'm going to recover. Every, I, everything was like, it was just a, a, like a couple of months before I had to go do all of that. And so it was like, it literally was the worst time. How did you cope with that? <clears throat> I went to Wall Street. And it was, you know, honestly, I lost my identity for a little while. I had no idea what I was going to do. Right. I, I was, I was so certain that this was my path that it was difficult. And I had loans, I had student loans because they don't have, um, they don't have scholarships, athletic scholarships at, at Ivy league schools. So I was, uh, I was under a, a, a little bit of debt and I, so I was in New York. I actually got traded to New York, the New York Rangers, and they picked me up and I tried out with them, but I just wasn't there. And so they went on to win the Stanley Cup without me. So, <laughs> did you ever get to play a game? I did, never, uh, only an exhibition. Right, okay. So, um, but then I was in New York and I was just sleeping on friends' sofas and trying to figure out what to do. And one of them said, you're, you're really good in math, right? And I said, yeah, I'm good in math. I, I can do math. And like, let me, let me introduce you to some people. So they introduced me to some people on, on Wall Street and next thing you know, I was working on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange trading something called ADR arbitrage. So, yeah. It, was it on the floor with the people in the jackets and the tickets? Is that? Yeah, it was, it was uh, no hand signals on, on that floor, but everybody yelling. It was crazy. It's not like it is today. I mean, it was, it was nuts. There was paper everywhere. It was, it was like this deep, you know. And did, did it strange, Was that strangely give you a similar kind of adrenaline as to the sport? That's it. So yeah. I, my, my flippant answer was I went to Wall Street. But the, what, what happened was that like, look, you're good in math. You, you, can, you can operate quickly under pressure with a lot of eyes on you and you, can, you understand how to adjust, readjust. You know, there was a coach that, um, that was at Union at the, at, when I was in college and he had coached me in the summers a couple of times. And he said, um, he said, read, react, adjust, read, react, adjust, read, react, adjust. That's what you're trying to do. And it's the same thing. Read, read the situation, react to the situation, adjust. And, and those are like, and, but if you can do that really quickly, I mean, Greg will tell you, sometimes it's not the, the, the first trade you make, it's how you react to it, you know? Hmm. And so, um, especially when you're young and you don't know exactly what you're doing. Famous hockey coach, uh, Scotty Bowman. <clears throat> I, I grew up in Montreal and he would coach the Montreal Canadians, but he had a, uh, uh, a line that 10% uh, of life is what happens to you and 90% is how you react to it, okay? You're in a bad situation if you react Generally, you'll make the, you know, the typical thing. And I hate to bring up Sam Bankman-Fried, but, you know, he reacted to a situation by making it worse, you know, digging himself mm -hmm. a different hole. I didn't want to hijack the conversation. No, right? Keeping it back to hockey. Yeah, and there's something, so James and I took a walk today and we went down to the beach. And so I'm going to pull up the fact that James was sleeping on people's house, uh, sleeping on people's couches on Wall Street. Um, I reacted that uh, I had driven my bike, uh, my mountain bike on a certain trip. And he goes, I go, at one point in my life, that was my most valuable possession because my mountain bike was worth more than my car. My car was worth 800 bucks. I bought an $800 car and I had a $1,200 mountain bike. And I, I figured I was worth about 2000 bucks coming out of college. And, and James looks at me, he goes, that's a great story, Foster, because you know, people think that, you know, we're just given stuff. You know, we are entitled. No, James and I worked our, our, our uh, you know, our 
talent, but it's not easy. We've achieved a level of, uh, of understanding of the system, but no one handed it to you. You got to do the digging. You yeah. got to do the homework to understand, you know, where you have an edge. So read, right. read, adjust, yeah. react. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. the. Well, six, six months after I launched this podcast, which is, what's the date today? Uh, it is November. Then, yeah, the 13th, 13th of November. Okay, so it'll be uh, on the 17th, it'll be five years since first episode. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, four months into wow. launching it, no, six months into launching it, I was nearly declared bankrupt. I right. nearly lost my house. Right. Oh, my God. Like, you know, you, you got to fucking work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Scrap. You scrap. just scrap. Yeah, so, I mean, funny story, when I, was, uh, when I was working for SG Warburg, the firm that I got uh, hired by, I didn't have it. I mean, I literally had no money. So I charged a suit from Macy's on my credit card <laughs> and three white shirts and one red tie and shoes and a belt. That's it. And that, I mean, I literally maxed it out to get that because I had like maybe a thousand dollars of availability in that card, right? And I'm, I'm going to work and you know what it's like, right? To be on these Wall Street firms. I mean, it's brutal. Like the, the hazing back in the early nineties, <laughs> brutal. So I walk onto the trading floor, like maybe the fourth day and my boss pulls me aside and he goes, Lavish, you have got to buy another tie. You cannot come in here wearing the same thing every day. <laughs> I had it. I remember I was at university and I had no money and I just learned to code websites. Ah. And um, uh, I'd only made one and I went out with my friend to play golf. And uh, afterwards, we were just in the bar having a drink and started chatting to this other guy. And he was like, What do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a website designer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like, oh, great. Well, like my company needs a website. It's back when it was very, you know, he's like, um, would, you know, could you do that? I said, well, yeah, I can, um, I can come to have a meeting with you next week. So then I went down to Hertz and I have rented a convertible because I wanted to be like convinced that like, like I knew what I was doing. And, otherwise, I'm, <laughs> otherwise I'm coming on the bus. <laughs> so I rented this convertible Saab and just drove it up there. And I got the contract. I got a 5,000 pound contract to build a website, which basically was the money I lived yeah. on for the rest and of the year. And you had to learn how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I did. I had, actually, I had to, had to get somebody in to help me off this uh, freelancer's board. That's but that, that hustle's there. I mean, yeah. I think that's Bitcoin. Proof of work, man. Proof of work. Proof of work. But I think yeah. Bitcoiners are hustlers. I mean, Matt mm. O'Dell tweeted out today. He said, whatever people complain, he said, I'm working five jobs so I can stack more sats than you. I like that yeah. style. I think um, I think you find a lot of hustlers here in this yeah. uh, Bitcoin thing. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's talk about FTX because it's kind of the the big mm -hmm. thing at the moment. Um, it's firstly it's depressing and it makes me angry. I agree. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in in moving beyond that and saying what comes next. But I'll start with you, Foss. Like, sure. How did you take this whole weekend? I'm disappointed. Um, for two reasons. Um, I'm disappointed and I got to call this out as a Canadian. I'm disappointed that somehow one of our big pension plans got caught up in it. Okay. So the Ontario teachers pension plan, one of the top pension plans in Canada, uh, was a, uh, series B investor. Uh, so along with Susquehanna and Tom Brady, uh, our Ontario teachers had a substantial loss in absolute dollars in as a percentage of their portfolio you're going to say they're going to walk it back and say that's yeah, a couple of basis points of our that's not the point the due diligence was absolutely horrendous sometimes these deals are club deals you know oh Sasquahan is in uh you know i gotta be in you know and we'll let them do the due diligence but so i i'm disappointed mm -hmm. there um that's true i i describe it uh I, shout out to american hodl um i was on a spaces con uh chat the, the today and he was just laying right into them as typically he does so i think he's 
coming back on Twitter, you know, American Hoddle Eight, I guess, is his handle now. I think it will get to fourteen before long. But before uh, Christmas, anyway, but I anyway, love the kid. But um, he was give, carving the manure arsehole, right, and it was beautiful. But the reality, he had a great uh, statement. He goes, "The reach for yield." is a fiat disease, okay? Like when you have to always uh, pretend that there's a return that is somehow um, uh, priced in, whether it's a, a bond or it's a, a yield by using option strategies or whatever, that actually is a fiat disease. So what I think is the best way I can describe FTX, I worked on a, uh, trading floors my whole life and it is a self-cleansing process because they make you go on vacation for two weeks where someone else prices your book. Okay. Which means the trader that's sitting and, and it's, it's a jungle on a, on a trading floor. Okay. And sometimes the guy sitting next to you doesn't want you to make money because the bonus pool gets shared with the people that make the money and the people that don't make the money, well, they get no bonus. So if yeah. you're having a really good year, but the guy next to you is having an even better year. There's a level of competition. The point is you go on vacation for two weeks, someone else marks your book, which means prove that the marks are real. If you're short something, prove to me you can buy it back at that price without you being adding to your position. And if you're long something, prove to me you can sell it apart from you being, you know, the bid. And that's an efficient trading market jungle type of uh checks and balances. Well, the reality was Sam Bankman-Fried had no checks and balances. Mm -hmm. He was marking his book and no one was there to overlook it. Now he's a cr criminal, okay? Mm. Criminal, his CEO, who, you know, she was a math major and everything, but she's self-professed. Well, I never had to use it. She's 23 something years old. I can't believe the world placed that much trust in these two monkeys, okay? At the end of the day, it's disgraceful. However, here's the soft-hearted Foss come out um, he's someone's kid. In fact, two Stanford law professors, or sorry, uh, are they law professors? Anyway, they're both, uh, uh, you know, they're both Stanford uh, 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 educated. I'm just sorry, if he was my kid, I would just be like, dude, why didn't, why did you keep building and digging the, the hole for mm -hmm. yourself? It started off by him thinking probably, oh, I'll skate myself on side, but you never skate yourself on side. Mm -hmm dig a bit deeper hole by using this mark on FTT by defending that mark. And as long as you can defend that mark, well, the Ponzi doesn't collapse. So mm -hmm. there were so many single signals in hindsight, but I got to call out the private equity funds at the outset that they didn't do their due diligence. And whether or not this is true, the rumor is that he was playing that, that game League of Legends, I think it's called or whatever. During the call with Sequoia. Dur with Sequoia. But even during the due dilly that some people, you know, at the outset of the Series B round. So hindsight's always 2020. I'm, I'm ashamed as a Canadian. I'm looking back on it, like the checks and balances, certainly so easy to see. And then as a dad, like, man, kid, you know, guys, when you get on side, read, react, or read, react, adjust, or whatever That's you right. say. Yeah. His adjustment was continued to dig himself a yeah. deeper hole, and then the Ponzi collapsed, so. But isn't it crazy? So like today I, I tweeted out something that, it's kind of like F, FTX is, is kind of like the long-term capital management situation plus the tech bubble. The, you know, the pain for the retail investors in the tech bubble, right? So long-term capital management back in 1998, we talk about this a lot, both of us, 
but it was just a leveraged play. And that, and then I thought about it more today. And I think I saw, maybe it was Caitlin who, uh, who had tweeted this and, and, it, and it really resonated with me is it doesn't remind you of Enron. I mean, where you had all these off balance sheet, um, off balance sheet entities that were just marked by them and nobody knew exactly Correct. what the marks were. And so, and if you don't, if you don't know what an off balance sheet um, entity is, you should not be investing in crypto. And if you know what an off balance sheet entity is, then you're a crook and go ahead, you can invest in crypto. Cause it's mm. like, why these things are, they created, these were created by Enron to hide the fact that they were, their, their, their price, their market value was marked up on nothing. And so, I mean, what, but they fooled they fooled thousands and thousands of institutional investors on Wall Street, and so it's it's Enron did Enron, Enron did to be clear. Mm. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't remind the, you. And so yeah. hold on, what's that? Was it the smartest the people in the room or something? Uh, that's a book that was written on yeah. Enron. Yeah, correct? I read yeah. that years ago. I feel like 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 yeah. almost two and then decades the, ago. Yeah, the, the, and then the, just, the, just the chapter for sorry, the book that's a great book for people to read on long term capital management. It's called When Genius Failed. Both books should be by read. Lowenstein. My yeah. mine is uh, the, the, the my I, I much prefer the uh, when genius failed over the smartest mm -hmm. people in the room. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, they're both you know yeah. they're both must reads. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I sympathize with what you say as a parent, and you know he's someone's son. Uh, I remember thinking, I remember when Bernie Madoff um, was arrested and convicted, and they they sent him to 150 years in prison. I was like, that's that's a lot of time. I mean, mm -hmm. for for a financial crime. Mm -hmm. And then then I watched the film and I didn't realize four people committed suicide, including his son, mm -hmm. um, and the uh, emotional damage on so many other people. Oh yeah, no, that's and awful. the amount of lives that were destroyed. Hey. And I was like, mm -hmm. hold on, this kind, this, this is this is this is a this is a broad crime that affects oh, yeah. a lot oh, no. of people. He is he is absolutely. It, you know, the criminal. And that being said, I, I, when I say as a father, you, you're, he's going to have to do time if, you know, uh, the problem is as a father, you just had wished he had reached out when he needed more guidance rather than yeah. digging himself a, yeah. uh, a, a deeper hole. You know? I wonder where it went wrong though. Like, uh, it, it all eventually come out. no, no. What I mean is, it's like, was FTX created because Alameda already had a hole, or was Alameda create? Uh, was FTX created because Alameda was so successful, and then there are issues later on? And the, you know, where, where yeah. did it go wrong? Where did he make that first bad decision that led to the next one to the next one? Like I can't figure it out. We may not know for years, but we all, we all know that you know, if you're in that situation, it's like you're making the decision where if you don't get away with this, you're facing. Years, if not decades, I, I in promise, jail. Like, I promise he didn't think that far down mm -hmm. the path, and yeah. that's that's the that's the danger of being young, young and uh, un, uh, unaware. Uh, you're just too young. You don't understand. Last night, and not to dox too much, you know, we had a great dinner with Michael Saylor. Let me tell you, that man continues to amaze me with his brilliance. And it came up like, what? Where do his ethics as a publicly traded company uh, uh, originate? And he's very clear. And sorry, Michael, you can cut this out if you need to. Um, but the truth is, he goes to the SEC. Look, he's, if people are scared of the SEC, 
Sam Bankman-Fried didn't have any reason to, to, to fear a regulatory body because they don't oversee his fund. Right. It's like having absolute control over your own empire and there is no, uh, there, you don't have to- There's no repercussions. Answer, yeah, no repercussions. You don't have to answer to anybody. So you can mark your book however you want, as long as people right. don't realize that it's the fraud that it was. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying now. It's a buying time. We're holding right. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini is also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, it is the BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients in all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also today, we have Wasabi. Now, Wasabi is what I'm using to keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically so you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. Or the magic happens automatically in the background, which was a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and Wasabi 2.0 makes it so easy. To find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Yeah, I mean, gosh, people won't let me hear me say this, but sometimes I'm like, maybe we do need regulations or... oh. I mean, maybe oh, we do. Absolutely. Over I mean, to you, James, because I mean, we absolutely. absolutely like, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not an anarchist. I know you are. But I have, I do like the idea of a smaller state. I do like the idea, I don't like um, accredited investor rules. There's a lot of things I don't like, but Well, at the I mean, same they're time, outdated. They're not, I mean, they're not yeah. really, they, they, but, they cause but, more separation of wealth. Yeah, yeah. But this wild west of anyone can do anything and get away with anything. I just, I don't know, certain things I think need regulation. One of the most influential yeah. courses, and I sorry, I said over to James that no, I took at Cornell good. thirty yeah. whatever nineteen eighty eight, so nineteen eighty seven. Uh, how many years is that? Like close to you know forty years, uh, right? One hundred and twenty. <laughs> but anyway, thirty five years. Um, a great class I took was called the efficient amount of regulation. 
in any system, there is required amount of regulation. Okay. It's that simple. And within the, uh, the, well, let's say crypto and make sure we understand the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. If you truly want institutional adoption, which is the thing that will make number go up, you need a level of regulation that will allow those investors comfort that they are not entering into some sort of potential Ponzi that was mimicked by FTX. Well, this was Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss's point. I mean, you know, people didn't like the campaign, crypto needs rules and, uh, you know, I would prefer it to be a bit more Bitcoin, but uh-huh. but that's the exact point they're making. It's like no one's going to touch this if it's a Wild West. No Correct. one's going to touch this. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, how how much uh, how much capital has been eviscerated this last week? That is actual uh, venture venture capital. How much of that has just been destroyed? Yeah. Right. And and like anyone looking in on this must be like, what the fuck is this all about? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And then and, don't forget the contagion that's involved over yeah. here, James. No, it's a, it, yeah. I think we, we were talking about this morning on our walk, and that's why you said over to me. And I, I just don't think that institutional money, like real institutional money, is going to come into this space until we have proper regulation. They're too scared of it. I mean, they, they, you, if you're a portfolio manager or a, a chief investment officer, what's the upside to getting into the space with so much risk, with so many of these uh, you know, schemes that have been uh, unearthed in, in the last year? Uh, there's just there's too much career risk yep. in it. So they're, they're not, uh, they're, there's not enough upside to, to, uh, you know, to outmatch that. Some so. Bitcoiners coiners would say, yeah, good, let's not have regulation. Let's leave it, let's have a grassroots movement, leave careful. it for the little you guy. You can't suck and blow, okay? If they want the price to go to where it has, they want it to go to, it will not happen without the big money. Well, I think someone will say, well, let, let that come later. Mm-hmm. Let's let's build this. Yeah, a little I bit would slower. agree. Yeah. I would agree with yeah. that. But you know, I'm in the middle. Look, I'm in the middle. I just hate yeah. people getting fucking screwed. Oh yeah, exactly. Just, there are people that will. I, I'm aware of people that lost their lives due to Luna. There will be people that lose their lives. You know, take their own lives due to FTX yep. and the losses that are absorbed there. In the grand scheme of things, in the global financial marketplace, the losses will be de minimis. Okay. Yeah. Within our ecosystem, there will be re- repercussions for a long time. Yeah. But from a global financial perspective, it's a it's it's you know wipe it off the table. What? Yeah. Why? How could there have been so much systemic failure in the due diligence with this? Because I don't understand how a Sequoia can write a two hundred million dollar check without some kind of deep due, due diligence. I just don't understand it. Oh, I mean, it's <laughs> a good. That's or a is, good is this a, again? It's is a, this a, a fiat fair, problem? No, but. It's a, well, I mean, well, yeah, sorry, it is a fiat problem. I know more what I want to answer, but you, you go first. Well, I mean, you're, you're marking things to market, and FTT is marked where it is, then you, and you see how much it's trading or what, what, you know, what the uh, number of holders are and who holds it, then you have, you have a certain level, level of comfort. And it, it's just how much comfort does that one mark give you? That's like a starting point for some of these guys, you know. Okay, let's start with where, what, what are the assets? Where the, but as far as all of the entities, I, I don't understand how they didn't pull this apart, you know. I mean, I, it, yeah. I mean, how, how about okay? So I'll take it a step further. Yeah. One of the tough games in private equity is, uh, you know, you want the next round yeah. always to be higher than the previous round, right? No doubt. And when you have a down round, which means a down pricing round where your series B is lower than your series A or whatever, um, that's not good for the valuation on your books. Right. Well, a lot of these guys will fund things at a higher valuation just cause. It's yeah. good because they can take the stuff that they already have on their books 
and market to the new valuation, right? If they were in series A and then the series B round clears at a much higher to uh, enterprise value, mm -hmm. that's good for the performance of the equity fund. It's a little bit Ponzi itself though. There's no doubt that there are issues coming up about private equity marks on the on the private companies when, that they have uh, that they have funded. So the way it works is in private equity. That's a great point. So the way it works in private equity, uh, you you come up with a valuation technique, and you try to keep you you should keep it consistent throughout the life of an investment. You know whether you're doing discounted cash flows, you're doing comparable uh, valuations, whatever it is, um, comparable multiples. You know, uh, to public companies, those, those are those are pretty good um, metrics to use. You decide how to do it. You come up with your paperwork, your 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 back work, your back. You know, um, your any any information that could back it up in your models. Then you go to your auditor at the end of the year and they look at how you valued them and they decide whether or not to sign off on it and say, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a believable valuation, right? So that's it. And unless you're audited, that's it. That's, that's as far as it goes. So if somebody decides that they, they can, I mean, uh, you know, it's not that the auditors are stupid. It's not that they're criminals or anything like that. It's just they're trusting their client. Now remember, the client pays the auditor to audit their books. So, you know, they're paying them to do this work. So it's, it, it's a very close relationship. And so not to be cynical there, but, you know, there or are- let's be there, cynical. There are, there are times no. where the auditors will just take your word for it and just hey. go, you know, I've got a lot of work. It's the end of, and like, when, when March 31st comes up, these guys are so busy. They're so busy that they're like, okay, um, you know, I'm gonna have to take your word for it. And it's I'm a gonna be cynical a bit. Just okay. a question on that You're very quickly. Cynical the whole show. But, but uh, with, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> within, within Sequoia, whoever signed that off, will they will they face consequences or would it be like they'll just write it off? Nah, it's, this shit happens. I believe it more closely to your second. You know, VCs make money, you know, there's ten, in 10 investments, seven will go to zero, two will break even or slightly better. And the one that knocks it out of the park makes your return on the 10 investments that you've- uh, Yeah, it really depends on how they're big their investments can I, can within I the portfolio the, that the portfolio manager wasn't- it, let, me, let me pull a, it's a, you know, a, um, you know, a little bit more of the conspiracy theory. What if you do know that it is something that you have discovered there's fraud but you want other people to come along and still market higher yeah. so that you're allowed to mark your prior investment up to the new funding round price. And you're like, damn, I hope they don't realize the things that I've realized up until this point, and I'll let them skate yeah. skate the project to the yeah. to the next level. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Pass the hot potato. Yeah. It's not passing it as much as just let's all hold our breath and pretend it actually isn't as bad as someone has discovered it to be. Yeah, so going back to what you're saying about the uh, reaching for yield, and we saw, it, it, so people are thinking like everything's breaking, everything, the crypto's breaking, the, the bonds, you know, the bond market's breaking, what happened in the UK? Well, go back to reaching for yield. So in the UK with the pension system and what, what happened with, when the gilts collapsed, I mean, it's because you have these pension funds that, they're, they're, they need to create a certain amount of return 
over the life of their uh, investment fund, which is you know per, in perpetuity, in order to pay out these liabilities that they have, they they, they have to pay out their pensioners, right? And uh, who are the members of that of that fund or their schemes, as they call them in the UK? Even though that's that's kind of a negative connotation here in the United States, they're called pension schemes out there. Well, the problem is that when you have interest rates manipulated so low for so long. I mean, you had, you had a very difficult time in Europe trying to find yield. There were $15 trillion of negative yielding bonds. This is nominal, negative yielding bonds last September. So, I mean, trying to figure out a way to make enough money to pay out those future liabilities is an issue, right? So um, what happens is the pension funds have to figure out a different way to do it. And so enter the, the, uh, the LDIs, which are liability-driven instruments or investments. Investing, and yeah. so, uh, and what, they, what they are is they're just swaps, right? And so there's nothing inherently wrong with a swap. There, it, you can use a swap to, to create returns and to minimize risk, right? Of, and we'll get to the third way to use them, but creating returns, you know, and with a swap, because you can, you can swap out, uh, you know, what you, what you have on your books in order to make an investment in wherever the way, the way you need to make it, right? So, but to, to minimize risk, you can swap out floating rate interest, uh, floating interest rate instruments or, or securities into something that's fixed. So you can have a predictable uh, cash flow. You can swap out currencies. So if you have, in, if you have um, uh, some sort of investment that is not in your base currency, that you can swap that into it. So you don't have that currency risk over the life of that investment. But then you can also use them to leverage. And this is exactly what they did in the UK. And so they would use these instruments or these investments, LDIs, in order to lever up the returns they were getting. Because if they were getting just a few percent, they could, they could lever that up two, three, four times that in order to make a better return, right? So if you're making 3%, you can lever that up to 9% or something, right? Three times or whatever it is. I mean, when I was doing swaps uh, back in my arbitrage days, I only had to put down five to eight percent collateral on on our swaps and so think about that i mean that's like 20 to one right mm. that's a that's a lot of leverage for that investment well these guys are doing this in their books and then the 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 new uh the, the finance minister right quasi yeah, he came out and said that he was going to to have this massive tax cut right didn't tell anybody where the money was going to come from mm -hmm. and just said, we're just going to have this massive, massive tax cut. And increased spending. And increased spending. And the market literally Pews. imploded. Like, they were like, whoa. And so anybody who owned gilts, the UK bonds, they were like, where's the money going to come from? This, this introduces, a, a, this is going to be a problem. It's, I, this is going to be uh, negative real rates for as far as we can see now. And so they started selling these bonds off. Well, they started selling them down and the, the UK investors, these pension funds who had these LDIs, well, remember that if you have something that's on leverage, you have a margin uh, requirement. And these started dropping down and getting close to the margin requirements. And they were going so fast that some of the pensions were now underwater in their investments. So they, they approached the, uh, the Bank of England. They were like, like if you don't, if you don't stop done. this, we're done. We're, yeah. we're all insolvent this afternoon. And so 
I mean, and again, it goes back to what you were saying, reaching for yield, reaching for yield. And that's the problem. And this is the fiat disease that, that you're talking about. Exactly. Well, this is the interesting things for, I mean, I, I don't have a pension. The reason I don't have a pension is when I got divorced, I had to split my pension. Mm. And I went to a pension advisor and they said to me, like, how much money do you want to live on? Wait, what, what would you have had a pension from? Well, I had... Um, just from my company, I had an advertising okay. agency. So okay. I used to put yeah. a certain amount each month okay, yeah, and you yeah. could match that tax-free okay. with the government, like incentivize it tax-free. Yeah. It wasn't a great pension, but anyway, I went to a pension. I only did it because my business partner said to do it. Yeah. But I went to my pension advisor and uh, financial advisor and they said, how much do you want when you retire to live on? You'll have a lump sum, but how much do you want to live on? I was like, I don't know. I mean, I... 40, 50 grand a year would be great, you know, but decent amount of money. And they said, okay, you need a pension pot of 2.2 million. I was like, huh? <laughs> you what? <laughs> they said, yeah, so you need to save 2.2 million uh, in, yeah, for the rest of your thing. And we were talking, I was like 35 at the time, 45. So I was going to work 30 projection. years. Yeah, so I was going to work 30 years. Yeah. So I'd have to, yeah, even if I earn 100,000 a year, I, basically I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just not going to have a pension. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to earn as much money as I can and I'll work until I have to work. That's, that's just going to be my life. And if yeah. I work till 70, so that, that would be it. Obviously, the thing I've discovered now with Bitcoin is you look at this and you go, this fiat disease is that if you want a pension, you've got to constantly be chasing the inflation number and beating it out, right. performing it. That's right. The great thing about Bitcoin is you kind of with the deflation of your currency, you just have to have savings. And if you're saving in something that is deflationary over 40 years, by the time you retire, you've got your nest egg, you're good. You're good. And, and you haven't got to, had to do anything. You haven't had to steal from anyone. You haven't had to lie to anyone. Okay. You haven't had to fucking anyone over. And like these little pins keep dropping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. That's it. Well, anyway, so back to, uh, I don't know, we got there from Mr. Bankrupt Fraud. but Re- Reaching for yield. Oh, well, interestingly, it's a coincidental number. Your price target is now 2.2 million. Interestingly, it's my pension number. Isn't that? I would have just needed one Bitcoin. Now, now, are you referring to a tweet I sent out that, yeah, that was half in jest uh, because, uh, you know, the value of Bitcoin has actually gone up. The price of Bitcoin has gone in the other direction uh, for various reasons, but the price has gone up. I increased it by 10% because I view that as being uh, the uh, positive uh, contribution by getting ri- uh, getting rid co- getting rid of some of the shit coinery that's going on within this asset class. But you know, I've run through that number with you before, Peter. How I get to two million? It's pretty simple. Grade eleven math. Uh, we could run through it if you want, but the reality is, I said sent that out by trying to make a point that the value of Bitcoin, with all these things that have gone on, macro events within the tradfi uh, world, uh, micro events within the crypto ecosystem, all have led led me to believe my valuation for Bitcoin is higher. And why is that? Well, because the likelihood of you needing the insurance against the system has increased. Meaning with all the mistakes, the LDI, you know, the the pension plans are making, um, you need to have insurance that there's some other asset there that's going to protect you. But we're not really at that point where Bitcoin is reacting. Not yet, because it's Why? education, but also there's still a lot of levered money on Wall Street that is trading Bitcoin as a risk asset, when right. in fact, it's going to take a lot of education to teach the, the hot money, let's call it what it is, it's hot money, 
to understand that Bitcoin is a non-correlated asset that actually is insurance, which means it shouldn't be traded as a risk asset. It's actually the flip side. As risk increases, which it is in the world, Bitcoin becomes more valuable, not less valuable. That hasn't permeated the thinking process on Wall Street yet. Why? Well, they don't teach it to you in school. When you come out of an Ivy League school uh, and you're working on Wall Street, perhaps some of the things you were doing to begin with is writing an algorithm <laughs> to uh, discover a correlation between Bitcoin and NASDAQ stocks. And historically it has reacted like this, so the algorithm will program it to continue to act that way until further notice. It takes a lot to break down these uh, these bad models. Yeah, What's your time scale? Sorry. Well, here's the key. 2.2 million in today's dollars. So I have an expression, give a target, but not a time. Well, we're measuring it in today's dollars. So if it takes 20 years to get there, what is the value of today's dollars? Oh, you dollars think it's worth it now? I can give you the math that indicates to me that it should be trading there, but it's it, only, here, wish, I'm going to flip it, it on its, well, I'm going to flip it on its ear. I'm a probabilities guy, okay? And I'm never 100% certain of my investment outlooks, but what I do try and measure is what the market says my odds are, yep. Peter. Yep. So you take, and it made the math easy when it was $20,000 versus a $2 million price target. 20,000, and it's in today's dollars versus 2 million, you take today's price target, you divide it, excuse me, trading price, you divide it by your target, and you get a percentage of, what the market says your odds are. That's a 1% chance. The market is telling me I have a 1% chance of being right. And I'm not saying I'm 100% certain I'm right, but I'm way higher than 1%, ladies and gentlemen. And that's how I've always managed risk my entire career. Right, and for anybody who is watching this and saying, yeah, but you've got to put an interest rate on that for, you know, to discount it. We're at negative real rates. Okay, so that's fair, really but matter. I also no, I'm, stress I'm saying, it so is you, today's dollars. Yeah, Let's so, not yeah, mess. So what if I'm it, saying is it doesn't matter because yes. we're at negative real rates. So we actually you it's mean, even better than that. Because so. the interest rates are lower than inflation. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So Correct. it's even better than that. But again, to bring yeah. it down to first principles, Jeff Booth thinking, it's like going to the racetrack this year for the Kentucky Derby and you had watched the Kentucky Derby winner train all the time. And you know what the odds were going into the Kentucky Derby of that horse winning Kentucky? 80 to one. And that's where the odds closed. And if the guy who had spent his life studying horses had watched this horse trade, train, he's like, okay, 80 to one is a long shot. And I still don't think he's a lock to win it. But man, the odds aren't 80 to one. Maybe they're 25 to one. So that's why you have to take yeah. opportunity of wrong odds that are laid by a racetrack or by a market. All the same thing comes down to yeah. risk management. Yeah, and we did the same thing in arbitrage. You'd look at whether a deal was going to close and you would handicap it. And if the market said it was like a 30% or a 40% or a 50% and you thought, God, they're, they're either I'm missing something or they're out of, out of whack on their price. And that's, that's where you would take, if it's a compelling opportunity, and that risk reward is so yeah. great. Then, and yeah. I, I, again, it's James's show, but I, I <laughs> no. can't keep my mouth. It's closed. our show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's our show. Hey, asymmetric investments define careers. Right. Okay, that's as simple as it is. I've had three in my life asymmetric investment opportunities. This is hands down the best I've ever seen. It's not even close. The other two, which were the best up until my, mm -hmm. you know, my current uh, uh, introduction to Bitcoin, they were good. But the asymmetry of Bitcoin is just so beautiful. Hands down, this is the best opportunity I've ever seen. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's my, 
I missed the internet one and I should have taken it. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. Um, that was uncertainty. But, you know, you, if you had zero exposure, you were also on the wrong side of that trade, right? Mm. But this is how you, you, you line it up. And mine uh, came out, of the, the second one came out of the great financial crisis. And, um, you know, the asymmetry was just crazy. And there was so much of this available. Uh, I was able to buy $7 billion of something um, for our fund that that's why I hung up my, my cap at the end of the great financial crisis. And, you know, four years later, because I said, I'll never be able to recreate that opportunity. Yeah. And guess what? In 2016, I found Bitcoin, but I wasn't managing money professionally anymore, except for my own account. And that's why I've gone in with both feet. So yeah, lucky to meet thing. a guy that speaks the same language as I do, um, because that's all it is. Managing risk is managing probabilities. It's managing a, an expected value outcome. And that's what I take such exception with these knuckleheads on Wall Street who say, it's got no value. Okay, are you 100% certain of that? And they'll say no. And I'll say, then shut the F up because you have to play probability distributions. Mm -hmm. That's where you're dealing with the fiat mindset versus the reality of managing risk. And really the challenge is to get some of these institutional investors to leg into the trade, get some, so it forces you to do the work and forces you to do the real research on it. And then they'll be orange-pilled if they really truly do. What so, about your old buddies on Wall Street? Have you talked to them much about this? Uh, a, a few, and I've got... Uh, one or two that understand it, like literally a handful. They already I, did or you spent some time with them? Uh, no, they already did. But beyond that, I mean, they're just, they, they group it up with, with Ethereum and Web3 protocols. And they're like, you know, they just don't understand how it's different. They think it's all crypto and I'm just getting a little bit of each and we're trying to, you know, they don't understand it and they haven't done the work on it. They're, you know, they're mentally lazy. Intellectually and lazy. It's right. intellectually lazy. Hmm. And it's, it, it's, it, it's incredible. And there, there's going to be a lot of them that missed the boat, just can, absolutely missed the boat. Can I add? So the cool yeah. thing is the one guy that was one of my biggest counterparty traders uh, in this first, uh, you know, coming out of the great financial crisis, he was a JP Morgan trader. Um, he just messaged me yesterday on LinkedIn because he's been following it. He does not want Bitcoin to succeed, but his spider senses are indicating. In. Well, he's yeah. like, hey, Fost, let's talk more about this. And I'm like, you know, Fine, I'll I'll go into anybody's barn and and have yeah. a have a, a discussion whether they're crypto whether they're fiat based because it's an education process and there's a lot of people that are paid not to want it to succeed oh okay mm -hmm. but there's enough smart Wall Streeters who know they have to cover their ass as well from a risk management perspective. Well, I tell you what's been interesting on this cycle is the previous cycle it was uh, very much to kind of like the Bitcoin educators. The, you know, it was the writers, it was the, the techies. Mm -hmm. This entire latest cycle has been dominated by macro people. I mean, we have you, James, we have you, Greg, we have Lynn, we have Preston, we have Luke Woman. I mean, uh, Jeff Snyder now. La La Larry, Larry Lepard. Lepard. Larry yeah. Lepard. Yeah. And even though Jeff Snyder isn't a Bitcoiner, he kind of is and doesn't no, know. No, he, he doesn't is. realize it. He doesn't realize yeah. what he is. Yeah. I mean, same, we've got so many now. And, you know, our show isn't a Bitcoin show anymore. It's a macro show. And I can, the reason I can tell you that is I can make a show with Lynn Alden. We don't need, we can not even talk about Bitcoin, not even have it in the title. It will be the biggest show of that month. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, this interesting. one will okay. be a big show. People want macro. They want, they want to understand money. They want to understand the wider context. Yep. Of course, they want some Bitcoin stuff as well. But, but the macro people have driven 
the engagement and the interest of this cycle and there's more of them coming and they're smart and they're coming out with great arguments. And the 60-40 portfolio, which is the traditional 60% equities, 40% bonds, has been decimated this last year. It's the first time in 100 years that both strategies have been down double digits, okay? And that means that there are asset allocators out there that need to find new ways of meeting their bogey, which if you're a pension plan and you're assuming you have a 7% hurdle rate and you've just been, you just lost double digits negative combined, you need to find something that's gonna bring that return Mm -hmm. up or diversify your investment uh, portfolio. So it's happening. Fidelity is is the leader on the institutional side this way. And look, BlackRock is doing it, kicking and screaming. Larry Fink didn't want to do it he until he realizes he's losing clients to Fidelity right. unless he does it. Or opens it up to, the, the, the individual investors are the ones who are, who are clamoring for it. They're, they're, they, we, they want this. And so now they have to listen to it. But we talked about this the other day. Um, and look, there are five institutions that, that control $30 trillion of assets in this, in this world. You know, you've got uh, Fidelity, Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and uh, UBS that that control $30 trillion. So when they get in and they actually put it in their portfolios, it becomes a no-brainer for other uh, asset managers to do it as well. I mean, that leads them to do it. But again, going back to our original point, which was we need some regulation in here to get them comfort to understand how Bitcoin is different because the regulators are going to tell them, Bitcoin is different and they'll go, oh, okay. And, and it'll click finally. And they'll say the career risk has been, you know, it's, it's yeah. been taken down. And so I can now leg in and they get in a one, two, 3% position. What's the math on that? Right. It so adds up quickly. It adds up quickly. Yeah. What, what kind of regulation do you think is required? To, to, to show exactly how Bitcoin is different, how it's regulated as a commodity versus the, uh, all the other crypto regulations. So security. to be, so CFTC oversight. Yeah, it's yeah. all that stuff. And Non-market now. manipulation, right. okay. Yeah. One of the reasons that the SEC is comfortable with a futures, cash settled futures product, BITO, um, is because they feel they can regulate the trading in the Chicago pits versus cash settled Bitcoin, which trades globally, mm-hmm. and they believe uh, could be manipulated by Asians, let's say, overnight, London time. Or you know? Russians. Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, but here's the cool thing. As a member, and Peter, here's the cool thing. You, you had Sean Cumby, or you talked to Sean Cumby the other day. Sean and I were involved in the first Bitcoin ETF in Canada that allowed Canada to have a spot ETF. That's advantageous for Canada, mm. leading the the the... the uh, the charge and Sean Cumby was responsible for taking the OSC to court and proving that it is not manipulated overseas. Sean was brilliant on that fact, uh, and and you know Canada's better off for it. Yeah. So it's coming. It's called the theory of agents. Career risk is easy when no one else is doing it. I don't want right. to get out of my lane. I don't. If everyone's losing money. That's great. I don't want to be the guy that's losing money because I went on a different strategy and everyone else is making money. That's the career risk. Theory of agents is the problem. This show is brought to you by BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. 
Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, Big Casino is the best online Bitcoin casino. To find out more about Big Casino, the first casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, with the recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only are Ledin sponsor, I'm also a customer of theirs too. So if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Fidelity Investments. So one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking me how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments recently reached out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team and help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. They actually started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team and services. Their in-house fintech incubator is where their teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they will provide resources, training and development to make you successful in this emergent industry. You can learn more about this at crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Also today we have Ledger. Now recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017 before I even started this podcast and I absolutely love the S Plus. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger then please head over to shop.ledger.com which is s-h-o-p dot l-e-d-g-e-r dot com. Damn. Well, going back to the the macro stuff, yep. um, when you talked about double digit down on bonds and equities, do you see a recovery or or, or is this just a death spiral? A recovery in bond prices? But either. Okay, so absolutely. I mean, look, bonds have now gone from a one and a half percent US ten year to close to four percent. You know, it, it topped out at higher than four percent. By the way, is that actually a good thing? I mean, should we should bond rates really be at that? They rate? always should. Yes, yes, and they're still not high enough, right? Because you still have nominal yields uh, after you subtract out your CPI, you your real negative yeah. negative right. real rates. That being said, there's an element, and I said this on stage here. 
uh, in, in the conference that people are going to change from being worried about inflation to being worried about credit risk of the USA. And that's what an interest rate is. It incorporates an inflation expectation and a concern about credit risk. And up until now, nobody in the world has worried about the potential default of the USA. But guess what? And I saw the chart you had there, mm -hmm. the graph of the, C, uh, the Congressional Budget Office that showed the deficit in the USA, that graph right there. It, it is yeah. a beautiful, if this was a company, yeah. You wouldn't touch this thing, okay? Right. This is so ugly. Foss, you look at this. Yep. Explain this to people listening on the phone. So the primary oh, deficit, okay? The, the components of the total deficit, uh, the total deficit is the combination of the, per, the purple and the blue. But the primary deficit is your fixed costs. It's your military spending and it's your entitlements. Yep. And correct me if you see and, something and else here, Well, Jim. and other, and, and others, okay. right? So, so those are the ones you just listed are mandatories. They're in, under legislation, but- This, this yeah. is the government budget. This is the government, and it's right. done Basically. by the Congressional Budget Office. Which, okay. means, which means that it's quite optimistic. Doesn't okay. matter, it's still so pathetic. <laughs> which is pathetic. Is that you are going to have a total deficit in 2051, okay? What's that, what's that 15 trillion? This is- yeah. Uh, no, it's it's how much on an annual basis you are losing. You are correct. It's fifteen trillion dollars negative. It's, it's not a percent. It's an actual number. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. And and is this accumulating every year? Or well, is this well, don't forget when you don't pay off last year's. Yeah. You have to pay interest on it, and but, it gets bigger. But that's not the number each year. That's the that's the increase. No, that's the number. That's the total de deficit. Well, that's, a, that's the increase. Not, yeah, yeah exactly. they, So they're exactly. increasing. So, so, so yeah. Why so is it going to... Deficit as a percentage of GDP for the USA. You're yeah. getting minus, you're getting a deficit that's 15% of the GDP of the USA annually. And the component, the biggest component is your net interest, which is because the interest coupon has to roll over and fund the deficit from the prior so, year. So it's organically growing because of the debt so spiral. Let, so let, let's talk about that for a second. So this is a great chart because it shows that the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, admits the problem. Yeah. But let's talk through the real problem, right? So going back to what Greg was saying, so you've got you've got your your GDP, right? We're already Hold on, just one second, James. I just want to explain to the people listening just what we're looking at, and we'll put it in the show notes. But essentially, what we're seeing is the deficit year by year. We have an anomaly in 2020 and 21 because of COVID, I imagine. Correct. That's exactly so there's a massive the amount of borrowing, yeah. and then what we see is going to drop back in 2022 to about five percent. Correct. Okay, and then of from, GDP. Of now GDP. Let's be yeah. Right. Okay, and then from 2027. It's gonna it's gonna be about the same, but but it's gonna go up to about fifteen percent by twenty fifty one. But the big the majority of the increase is interest. It's ridiculous. All right, yeah. so let's just walk through how it's ridiculous. Right yeah. now, first of all, our our baseline deficit right now is a trillion dollars. Yes. Okay. All right. So let's walk through the, the the numbers really quickly for your for your listeners to understand what Greg is talking about. And we talked about this, and that's why I wrote that newsletter about the debt spiral in the United States. Right. Yes. So. Um, okay, so you have you have you have your your major uh, revenue source. That, that's your taxes. I mean, you get they have other things, you know, their their penalties and stuff like that. But your tax revenue is your major source of of income for the United States. Okay, and that's driven off of your GDP, your gross domestic product, right? So you and that right now is running at about four point five. 
trillion dollars. Oh, no, I'm sorry, four point. Uh, That's okay. Four point five trillion is yeah. your is your right. tax revenue. Right. All right. So you're you've got. That's right. So you've got your your major expenditures are your your in, your entitlements. Okay, these are signed into legislation. These are mandatory expenses, right? Which is about social 3. security. Th yeah, social yeah, security, social Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid yeah. right? And that's three point seven trillion dollars. Then hold you, on, what's GDP of GDP of the USA is, about twenty four trillion. trillion, and tax revenues are about four trillion, four trillion, four and a half. Trillion. So, so hold on, so two point seven trillion of that is mandatory. Correct. Does that include the military? No, three hundred. So let me walk through it. So it's three point seven trillion dollars is mandatory. Then out of your your variable expenses that change year to year, it, you've got military, okay, which is eight hundred billion dollars. But that's that's those are contracts. So you kind of count it as a mandatory because they're they're invoices that they're getting from these contractors that they've that they've agreed to you know make these. Um, these defense products for them, right? Or defense systems. So then you've got, so that's 800, right? Then your current your current interest on your, your uh, debt is at $400 billion, okay? So now walk that back. So the, the number is actually $4.8 uh, trillion of, of revenue, okay? You've got 3.7 trillion in entitlements. 800 in defense, now you're at 4.5. Then you've got $300 trillion or $300 billion left over for interest expense. However, today your interest expense is at $400 billion. So you're already running an additional deficit of $100 billion, okay? Now, Larry Lapard and I sat down uh, before this conference and talked through a pro forma of next year. So a pro forma is just a projection uh, on, on your baseline. So, okay, remember, your, your, your total, if you include everything, so forget about the, 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 the mandatory only, if you include everything, we're running at, right now at about a trillion dollars of, of deficit, right? But now next year, if you if you peel out from our revenues, the six hundred billion dollars that we got, which was kind of a one time deal in twenty twenty, after all of the money printing and the stock market and all the assets went up, they had a great capital gains uh, uh, revenue line item of about six hundred billion dollars of, of additional. Right, so pull that out, and then also we have right now about 400 billion dollars of additional spending that the that the government has the treasury has said that they're going to have to issue bonds at going into the fourth quarter into the first quarter okay so now you've got so you've got the 600 plus that 400 plus another 150 billion dollars of of uh, the cola the cost of living adjustment on those entitlements right so that goes up um, by another 150 billion dollars so you're about at another 1. Two trillion dollars. Add that to the one trillion dollar deficit you're already at. That's two point two trillion dollars. Okay. Now hold that. Right. So clearly, okay, we'll go back to that in a second. But then when you add in that we're going into a recession, then the last two great recessions we were in, which was a tech bubble in two thousand and two thousand eight, was the uh, great financial crisis. Your tax revenues dropped between eight and ten percent, and your entitlement spending went up between eight and 10%. So now that's all another eight, that's another you know, 800 billion to a trillion dollars, okay? On top of that $2.2 trillion, if we go into this uh, downward um, you know, uh, economic spiral, or at least into a, a, a hard recession. So now you're at over $3 trillion. Now look at the chart. 
and see how rosy that picture is from the CBO. Even though, okay, so if you look right. at 2026, it's showing what? 5% as a, def, a percentage of GDP? Remember, GDP is $24 trillion. So 5% is $1 trillion. And, and that's going down. Okay, so this is bullshit. Well, it's, but, but it's but still it's, so, admits, it's still so ugly. It's I mean, still you, so if ugly. this was a company, yeah, you would exactly. never touch this with exactly. a large pool. Exactly. But, but the, the thing is, if, if this was my household budget, <laughs> what I would be doing is going, I've got to cut something out. No, what you do is if you're or the U.S. Get a second job. If you, this is this is what the U.S. government is doing. Okay, you're if if they're assuming yes, exactly what you you just said. But instead of cutting spending or getting a second job, they can't get a second job. They're, where are they going to drive revenue from? Instead of what they're doing is the, they're operating on on credit. So they've got a credit card that they're that they're overspent on, and they've got an interest rate on it. So now they, they're, they're, they're mandatory expenses of your mortgage and your car payment and food, right? So you've got all those things you've got you've to pay for for you and your kids. Well, you're not, making, you're not meeting that margin with your job, with your revenue. So you can't cut out, your, you, you're not cutting out food, your mortgage or your house. So what are you going to do? You're going to take out another credit card. And then you're going to pay the interest on that credit card. And then eventually you're paying so much in interest that you have to take another credit There's card. There's your blue line. And There's that's your, the blue line. That's yeah. your net interest. And that's, that's what, it, so it's, it's the equivalent of being in credit card hell. Okay? It's, a, it's a debt spiral. It's, yeah. it's yeah. you are taking out more credit cards to pay the interest on your old credit cards. And this is why there will be a default at some point. Or, yeah, this or, gets to or, or they or, print a load of more. And, thank you very much. Yeah. The fiat currency is the error term which mm -hmm. balances this debt spiral. So it's they that. print out, pays back in normal terms, loses to oblivion. as long as it continues going. Yeah. Uh, does that affect credit rating though? Okay. That, absolutely it <laughs> does, but that's why the credit rating companies are conflicted. If yeah. this was a corporation, there is no question it would be rated triple C, Okay. It's a very simple calculation on EBITDA interest coverage. And the USA does not even cover its interest expense by one turn. James ran through the math, which meant that as a company, those are defined as zombie companies. Well, guess what? The USA is a zombie country and it's the best country in the world yeah. from a financial perspective. Yeah. There were times where we would run a surplus and there were times where we would run a Correct. deficit. And it just feels like we never have a surplus anymore. Okay, no. why? Because your organic growth in your debt is at a point where interest, the growth in your interest is outstripping the possible growth of your economy. But why, why is it happening now and not time? And I th I've got a couple of theories. I think one is globalization. I think who's going to blink first? No, it's a, it, Paul Volcker was able to do what he did because total debt to GDP in the USA at the end of uh, 1988 was 30%. And now total debt to GDP in the USA is 130%. But why have we got okay, that so now? Think about it. So just think about it. If, you, if your interest rates are going up, yeah. right, and you're running a deficit, well, now, now your, your interest payments, they're, they're getting bigger. So each year that, that, you know, your deficit is growing. And just so that's the, the problem, growth. it's just math, right? So, so think about it. So now you've got, you've got $31 trillion of debt in the United States right now, right? So if your interest rate, which is why the treasury is like, they're, they're on guard here. Yeah. So you've got $31 trillion dollars okay. up there on the left, right? Yeah. 
So if you've got right now, you know, if 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 they're if they're paying, you know, what what did we come up? It with? was one and a half percent. They're funding themselves at one one and a half percent. Make the math yeah. easy. On yeah. thirty one yeah. trillion, there they have four hundred and fifty billion dollars annually of yeah. debt. Right, Peter. Look mm. at the top right. thirty trillion yeah. times one and a half percent. That's one. That's four and a half uh, four hundred and fifty billion annually, which James pointed out. Thirty eight percent of that debt rolls over in the next two years and will be funded at a 4% coupon because that's the open market rate uh, on debt now. Okay. So there is the growth in your interest expense. Right. You go from a hut of 450 billion to meaningfully higher because the debt rolls at a much higher coupon. Hold on, question. Yes. I think I've just realized something that I hadn't fully realized before. When you just said the debt rolls over, yeah. it becomes, because they have to pay off the old bonds, I'm they have to issue. They, they have to issue the, the new rate. ones to roll, roll over. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Now, here's one now thing now I want to mention. Over yeah. from I want to mention this. To one point five percent to Peter, one four point five. Here's how crazy it is. Everyone focuses on the U.S. national debt in the top left corner. I'm looking at U.S. total debt. Where, where do you see that one? Ninety-three. Because, oh fuck! No, go down to the bottom All line. Holy US shit! Unfunded liabilities, one hundred and seventy trillion. Hold on, we we nearly need so a add new... that to the thirty-one. What 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 comes after trillions? Is it quadrillion? It is. But <laughs> let's not even go there because that's two hundred trillion dollars. You take your unfunded here, one seventy-two plus thirty, you're at two hundred trillion dollars of total obligations by the US. Hold, hold on. Okay. So say $200 trillion. What are those unfunded liabilities? Medicare and Medicaid. It's right there. You see them right there. Medicare liability, social security liability. But, but what, over what period? It's on their books now. It's, it's the, it's the promises to the citizens going forward. Yeah. But like <laughs> 30 years. Okay. 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Shit. No, but this is math. This is, yeah, no, and this, this is, is the math. And this is why you need inflation to. Uh, it's over. But go down, go down, go down to the lower, 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 lower right. See what the liability per citizen is. Fucking <laughs> insane. It's not funny though. These but, are our kids, no, Peter. No, no, no. But, yeah. but it's so fucking stupid. It it's is funny. exactly it's that. Now you said, insane. how did we get here? Yeah. Any four-year president that's going to try and fix this will not be in office for another term. Well, so he is not incented to fix this. It's but, besides it being mathematically impossible to fix. Unless they elect a guy who probably won't be alive by the end of it, and then maybe he can have a go. Uh, we've had enough people that shouldn't so, be in office so at that go, age anyway. But go uh, back up just a couple of lines. You see the U.S. millionaires down there. You see the number of millionaires. Twenty-two million. Twenty-two million millionaires. How many Bitcoin are they going to be ever printed? Twenty-one. This is a great chart, and they do this by yeah. country, right? You can look at the same thing for Canada. Let's not do it. So they Twenty-two will not all be able to get one. Twenty-two it's actually right. Twenty, not possible. Twenty-three millionaires yeah. just here in the United States. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. There's, there's like there's, hold on, that's what that's more than five percent. Yeah, fifty something in the in the in the world. Uh, yeah, close to you know, it's probably seven percent. So if there's three hundred million people, seven percent times yeah. three hundred is twenty-one million. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, this stuff is insane. It's 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 math. This is why it's so simple to see this and then we could get into the credit default swap market and you could see how bitcoin even just on the united states should be valued at somewhere close to two hundred thousand dollars just because of the insurance on the usa and then you get all the other countries for free what does it used to say bitcoin is a credit default swap on used to well, say something. on a basket That's of fiat sign. currencies yeah. but you could just do it as a credit default swap on the usa and see how cheap <laughs> bitcoin is <laughs> 
Oh my God. But you see, here's yeah. the cool thing, okay. Peter. Yeah. We've been involved, you and I talking about this and I love the aha moment. You just had your aha moment. Yeah. Well, no, there's certain th concepts you just suddenly get. That's you know? fine, but you have to keep yeah. repeating it because yeah. most people don't, it's like when when you, James very well did. Sorry, it, go the, ahead. one that stands out to me, savings per family. Nine yeah, 9,500 versus the liability per citizen. Okay. 500, so what's the average family in the USA, four? So the average family has $2 million of liability and the savings for family, oh, a whole $9,500. I'd love to see a UK version of this. There is a UK it's version. It's there. There is? Yeah. Oh my God, let's have a look. You get your, your, uh, your public debt to GDP 104% versus USA. Well, that's the public debt, but you got to take- Well, the UK money. just jumped over 100% this year. Yeah. But these are cool. I mean, but it's not a good scenario. And the best scenario is the USA. Oh, look at this. Italy's fucked. No, well, that's why we always said oh it. Oh, God, yeah. But let's not spend too much time on it. It's that simple. <laughs> you need insurance against this. Yeah. There's no way back. Mathematically, no. No, no way so back. So what do you think they do do, Greg? So what, what, they, what, what, what do you think they do do? What, what, the countries? Yeah. We go into something called financial repression, and James will expand on this, where you try and run inflation hot, yeah. and then you use a component called yield curve control, which keeps your interest rates low, and you hope that your GDP grows into your debt burden. Right because of the natural inflation to your tax base, mm -hmm. which follows inflation, but bonds get skewered and the printing of money is so crazy, it's QE infinity and hard assets go parabolic. Yeah, so just remember that your, your nominal, you're, you're getting this, this, uh, this bump in GDP from inflation and nominally you're paying back these. So what Greg is saying is that you're paying back this debt with, with future dollars that are worth less, right? So if I give you $100 today hmm. and loan it to you, you can buy 20 Starbucks, right? So in 10 years, how many Starbucks do you think you're gonna be able to buy with that 100 bucks? Maybe five. Right, so <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing with the debt. It's the same thing. Yeah, well, this was a conversation I had the other day. You know, we've run a successful business here and I don't know what the fuck to do with the money. We, we, you know, we've put money by as a runway for the business, but also at the same time, I'm going to lose 15% of that next year by not spending it. You're totally right. What yeah. the fuck do you do? You can't, but, that's can't why put it's it. evil. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is fucking evil and it is ridiculous and it's insane. And I... It's maddening, yeah. Yeah, maddening. Okay. Yeah. It's maddening. I and have that's a, you try to be, a, yeah, portfolio managers, that's why everybody's reaching for yield to try to, you know, like, they're trying to keep ahead of all this printing, you know? How long do you think they can last before they have to start dropping rates again? Well, I said that four and a half percent would be where things really start breaking. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see things break already. LDI in the, U in the UK yeah. was absolutely something that broke, yeah. okay? So we're seeing things break. And the best economists that, you know, that I follow, macroeconomists yeah. like uh, Luke Roman, mm. feels the same way. There's a sustainable amount of interest expense that the USA can uh, endure. And it, it's, it's, we're at that level right now. And just look at things that are breaking around the world. But, but to sustain that, that acceptable amount. You can't sustain it at this rate. What, what I'm saying, if, if they can find a, an acceptable rate, they can maintain that, that is going to lead to a... a gradual and insidious erosion of living standards 100%. for right. everyone. Right, because what they'll do is they'll, they'll jack up the rates as quick as they can here, which is what they're doing, and try to get that inflation down to a point, right? Declare victory, you know, probably somewhere around four or 5% inflation, which is the number that they're sharing with you, but we all know that the real inflation rate's higher. 
and then back those rates off so they don't have to pay higher rates for the treasuries that they issue, right? That they that they issue in the auctions. Is there a sensible option that no one's put on the table because it's politically unpop politically unpopular? Is there like something you guys go, wow, if they did this, or are they, or is it literally? They had a chance to do it after the great financial crisis, and every time they tried to do it, there was a taper tantrum. So now there is a point there. It, there is no return. No debt jubilee. Yeah, they kept. I wrote a piece on that. Mm -hmm. No, I mean it doesn't. It, it doesn't physically work. You leave a hole in in a balance sheet. You know, in the Fed balance sheet. What do you think that would do to pensions? So, then it's then it's. Look, there's one option. All paths lead to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that simple. Yeah, and it's going to be a messy, strange transition that. Won't be pretty. It could be. It could be. Like people, I mean, look at how long it's been going on with Japan. We yeah. don't know how long it takes, you know. Well, that's and there's make so, careful. Japan yeah. is a nation of savers Correct. versus Absolutely. the difference and so we do, it's hard Also, to, it's isn't the currency collapsing? Right, but okay, let's say it. It is. So, okay. So Japan is a nation of savers and they're they're an, a net exporter. We're a net importer. Okay, so it's a different, it's a different dynamic. Absolutely. However, also a different dynamic we're, you know, we've got the, the, uh, we've got the, the, the reserve asset of the world, which is U.S. treasuries, and everybody needs dollars and everybody uses treasuries. So th that's our advantage, our, the United States advantage, right? So the, the one that'll break first is, is Europe, you know, that'll break before Japan. But when, was it Jeff Snyder who said that the, it won't break because the U.S. will actually have to rescue Europe? Okay, I mean, I, mean, like, he I, I, believe, I agree with Jeff on certain subjects, yeah. and I also don't agree with him on <laughs> some. Um, but that's what makes a market, all right? Um, yeah. Look, well, when, and when, Europe, this, when Europe breaks, is it the euro that breaks, and will the pound be it, independent it, of that? Well, it depends. It depends on what actually the function of it breaking is. But I believe that, I, and I've written about this. I believe that it, eventually Germany just gets fed up with all of the all of the debt that the ECB is allowing these other countries down in the south. You know, the Italy, Greece, uh, Spain, Portugal to take on at the expense of Germany, yeah. uh, and, and there's no function to pay it back. You know, I wrote about it in Target 2, the, the, the interchange. And so they've, they're owed over a trillion dollars, and some of that is from the ECB itself. Not and there's no it. function to pay yeah. it back. So at some point, Germany so will just say, you know what, we're done with the euro, maybe we're done with Europe. I, it, it's gonna be... Yeah. If that happened, and say, but say it happened the other way first, say Italy voted for its own Brexit and went back. How would it, what, what would it do? I don't know, I'm just saying, yeah. just any country, just yeah. say one did. It's, I'm not sure how they would financially do it without, if, if, Italy did, if Italy wanted to leave the European Union and not have the, the ability to use Germany's balance sheet, is there those, a way, those I, banks would fail. Is there a way those, um, a country can leave the, the, uh, the Euro, leave the EU, uh, default on its debt, uh, establish his have own a reset. Uh, yeah, have yeah. a reset. Establish his own domestic currency. What are the other countries going to do? But would that lead? Well, no. come back to that. But could that lead to a boom? No, it couldn't. No, because what people won't trade with them because they'll have a they poor won't credit trust rating. Them. They'll have to use other. They, how are they going to issue debt? Who's going to buy that debt? If they just defaulted on their obligations, they're not going to buy the debt. And you need to be able but to issue debt. Yeah. Let's not overthink things. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the USA <laughs> will be the last country yeah. to fail. Canada will fail, in my opinion, 20, 10 to 20 years before the USA does, and Canada hasn't failed yet. So let's assume that this can continue, yeah. I think, to answer Danny's question, how long can it go? Probably at least another decade. Why? 
this is the Ponzi. It's the FTX. As long as you don't let people see what the true mark should be, we can continue to pretend this Ponzi will continue to go. Yeah, and, and perpetuating the Ponzi, is that oppressing smaller developing nations? Cr- crowding Absolutely. out of capital, Absolutely. of course it is. It's, a, it's crowding out the capital that, you know, there's a limited amount of capital in the world. Huh. And as the USA becomes a greater and greater uh, borrower, it crowds out the ability of capital to flow to lesser uh, fortunate nations. And the yes. stronger U.S. dollar just export our, it, it, it exports our inflation, right? It makes it, it, makes it, uh, it makes it more expensive for people to buy, uh, you know, U.S. goods. And so... Does any of this make you su- suspicious of what's happened in Russia and Ukraine, that this is, was Russia recognizing this? Oh, my God. And trying Ooh. to want to, Putin wanted to detach himself from creative... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he doesn't it. want U.S. dollars for he his valuable natural resource energy. He yeah. basically called it out to his Politburo. Exactly. Mm. He said it. You take the translations. It doesn't get much MSN coverage, but you look at the statements translated. He basically says, why would I want to own a, a fiat currency? Paper-based currency. That, that they can restrict me from using when I need it. Yeah. Hmm. It, was, it was a, yeah. It was brilliant. Putin's a Bitcoiner. Not, I'm not supporting his military or his anything like that, but he understands the difference between soft money and hard money. Do you and think that's a, a bit of a peek behind the veil for people like China as well, who won't want that, those treasuries? Not necessarily China, but how about we extend it to, you know, the, the, what's happened with the Saudi Arabia kingdom and uh, disagreements with Pre- President Biden is the same thing. They don't want their valuable oil resources being paid for in US US dollars. dollars. Now, there is that agreement because they need to have protection from their enemies from the US military. So it's difficult, but it all comes down to energy. It all comes down to natural resource energy for for digital energy, hence Bitcoin, pretty simple. Super simple. I need a whiskey, man. (laughs) That being said, all paths lead to Bitcoin. The longer that this that we can develop a parallel network, the better. And that's what we're doing right now. That's right. We're that's developing this rescue that's, network. Yeah. Be positive, not negative. Because no. you know, but yeah, drink whiskey because the reality is, you know, it's not a pretty situation. There would be a US dollar uh, and US Treasury kind of parallel system until Bitcoin just takes over. And, and it I, will I, replace the US Treasury, treasury system as, as global reserve asset. Yeah. And the U.S. dollar can maintain global currency status. Have you independently come to that conclusion, or was this yeah. no? Independently, no. that's why I loved yeah. it. It's yeah. going to replace the bond system. Did you say it will the replace treasuries. the U.S. US treasuries treasury. as global reserve asset, hmm. not global reserve currency? And this is why. What's right, the because, trigger? Because What's the trigger? What, like, yeah, the Jason this, Lowry. Right Jason yeah. Lowry. Yeah. The trigger is Jason Lowry convincing his superiors that the survival of the U.S. dollar could rely on Bitcoin. Huh. That simple. Yeah. And I've got some uh, Canadian bourbon here. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh, call it a great yeah. day of. Talking. Oh man, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Foss. Love you, man. James, great to meet you. Awesome. Uh, do you want to? Do you, I don't know if you've got anything you want to send anywhere. Have you got a newsletter or? A uh, yeah, he has a great newsletter. Yeah, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm just James Lavish, and uh, I write a newsletter. It's called The Informationist. Okay. And it's gotten a, a ton of uh, great reviews from people who. What I do is I take one financial concept every single week, and I break it down super simply for people to understand it. Anybody, because I know how opaque 
our world is. And I want to get people inside to see exactly what all these things are. Yield curve control, the Fed pivot, you know, target to wherever it, whatever it is and why it matters. And uh, it, it often leads people right to the end of it is, is why Bitcoin is so important. Hmm. And so- James yeah. and I are partners on the Looking Glass Education right. platform, right? That's one of the, he, he was one of the founders of this free education project, a uh, platform rather that uh, we're happy that people refer to as an alternative source of education to understand the situation that we're in. All right, man. Well, listen, we got to get out to Canada, Danny. We did. Uh, We've got to get out, go watch some hockey, do some interviews. Thank you for having us, uh, Peter. Yeah. Foss, anytime. Lavish, great to so meet much. you. Good luck with everything. Uh, what's the URL for the, uh, is it a Substack? Yeah, it's on Substack. You can right. find it right on my Twitter handle. Is, yeah. is this Thank the one you. you've been reading? Yeah, I've been yeah, reading. yeah. We'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. Substack's become a bit of a Ponzi for me as well, with the amount of bloody fucking newsletters I'm signed up to. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep up with them all. Doomberg has been the one I've been reading a lot. He's Doomberg. a good man. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. Guys. Thank you so much. Uh, James, we'll have to do this again sometime, fast whenever. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Uh, Bitcoin Collective, shout out to them, what they did in Edinburgh. Uh -huh. Shout out to your uh, football your football team. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you what, this is a, this movement is a gro is growing. I'm off to uh, El Salvador tomorrow. For adopting Bitcoin. Uh, for adopting Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, that's what's going to do it is more adoption, more real life use cases and, uh, you know, for the kids. Raul Bedford's going to be your fourth asymmetric bet. I can try. <laughs> now, how do you, well, is it available for public uh, uh, investment? Not yet. I said I was going to so do So then it's impossible for me to execute do you know, do you know it. I said, don't, don't. No, no, no. What it is, is I wanted to do one season first yeah. and go and learn it and go and yeah. say, okay, I know what to do now. Okay. I've done it. I've learned it. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And this is what it is. And then awesome. I'm just going to open it up to anyone to invest. Awesome. Well, so James we and I are starting yeah. an investment fund uh, together. Uh, we, I'm joking, of course. Our first investment, as much as I love you, kid, it won't be Real Bedford. Real Bedford investment needs to be investment of love and fun there we go just like bitcoin yes yeah. all right thank you guys yeah. thank you brother thank you all right what did you make of that <laughs> okay that was some pretty depressing stuff at times um yeah weird you know sometimes i'm like super bullish and happy about bitcoin and you know i believe in bitcoin as this great technology that can help us in difficult times you know what? there's a lot of people out there who don't know about bitcoin who don't have access to it and we're in difficult times, you know, there's a lot of pressures in the economy, a lot of pressures on families, and that weighs on me quite heavily. So, yeah, I've got mixed feelings at the moment, feeling pretty shitty about these crappy things happening, but I'm also bullish on Bitcoin. I'm, I've got to put a lot of focus on that as well. Anyway, I'm just leaving Texas. I'm heading back to Vegas. I'm going to see my buddies, the ghost inside. Very excited about this. I do love Bitcoin, but it is fun to go and get to do something else. I'm going to be hosting a live podcast with them as they play two shows out in Vegas. I'm going to be jumping around in the pit like an idiot. I'll probably put my back out again, but very excited about this. Listen, I hope you're all doing well out there. Love you all. If you've got any questions about this, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will do my best to get back to you. It is me who replies. It isn't Danny. Some of you have been emailing me saying, hi, Pete. Hi, Danny. Actually, even one person put, hi, Danny. I think they assumed he answered. He doesn't. Lazy bastard. Okay, listen, have a great weekend, and I will catch up with you all next week.